The cliche has always been that Africa is a potential that has lived below its expectation. It's a story told of how a continent abundantly flown with the proverbial milk and honey still wanders in hunger. Yet the African story is not all about gloom. Africa is also a story of brilliance, inspiration, global breakthroughs, innovation and invention, of living hallmarks of a story that is rarely told. A story of an Africa that is changing, an Africa that has changed. Hello, my name is Isaac Kodyo Abwa, entrepreneur, thinker and writer. And here, on the Change Africa podcast, I bring these stories to life. You're going to have up-close and personal conversations with the change makers leading Africa's transformation. We have with us today Mr. Amadou Galofo, who is the president of the Basketball Africa League. And um, we're just hoping to have a great discussion about the intersection of basketball and economic development, as well as the youth's um, role in helping the sport become dominant in the continent of Africa. So basketball is the second most popular sport in Africa. It's a sport of hoops and dazzling athleticism. And unlike soccer and football, it's just thrilling every single second, um, every single minute. So we're hoping to speak to Mr. Fall about how he's going to help revolutionize the sports in, in Africa, something that he's already been doing for the past decade. So welcome, Mr. Fall, to the Change Africa podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us about your coming into contact with the sport of basketball. I know it started long ago, basically, with a story that you told once about your brother bringing you a basketball when he was studying in France because of the interest um, due to his height. So can, like, can you really tell us about how you got into basketball? Yeah, exactly. My brother's you know, taller than me. He was 6'10", uh, studying in France. And he would tell me that literally coaches or people would approach him on the street asking him, you know, if he'd ever played, he'd never played. Um, and he was... You know, pretty sporty, but more like just on the casual side, jogging and just, you know, getting into sport for, for fun. Never played basketball. So he kept telling those people in France that actually he has a brother, a younger brother, who could be, you know, uh, who could have more upside and could be interested. And I have never played myself. So he brought me the ball. And, you know, I started just... You know, going in the neighborhood high school, play around with it by myself, and then later on they moved to when I moved to Dakar for um, finishing high school. You know, obviously, it's an urban game, right? For the most part, which is something we 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 endeavored to change. You know, just uh, making the game accessible to young people everywhere in every city, all corners of the continent is something we are very passionate about. And I think a lot of this comes back from just the lack of access we had, at, you know, uh, when we were coming up. So, you know, long story short, and, you know, when I got to Dakar, and same thing, and you get people, because of my, my height now, just the same story as my brother, Mamadou, you know, people are suggesting or advising you uh, to go and to play basketball, because we all grew up playing soccer because because that's the game we had access to. So, you know, once I pick up the the game, you know, things happen very rapidly. I mean, because I had, you know, physical skills that, you know, were suited for the sport. I mean, certainly better suited than for football at six foot eight. I was a, you know, pretty good athlete in terms of quickness and running, jumping for my size. So that helped. And then, you know, very quickly you, you, you catch the bug, you know, you, 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 you develop a passion for it. And then as I was a student and then, you know, you, 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 you start to discover that this is a sport that for some reason, 
you know, many of the people I knew who were playing it, they were also students. So, you know, and I played in Senegal for the Dakar University Club, and uh, which is the team of the university, of that what is called now the University uh, Sheikh Anta Job University. Uh, also, all, not all the players were students, but the majority of the players were students. So there was this um, uh, this link between basketball and education. And as I said, when things started happening very quickly, like I was being noticed, being pre-selected on national team, and I barely just started the game. So I think that was really... Uh, motivation to to kind of give it a greater focus, um, and then ultimately, when I met uh, Kevin Leinberger, uh, who was from the Peace Corps, and who helped facilitate um, you know, me getting a scholarship to go to the U.S. on a full scholarship, and I still didn't you know, had no idea, you know, in terms of my level, and you know, it just for this guy to think that I was worthy of a full scholarship to go play in the U.S. And at the time, you look at basketball in America as something that is out of this earth, you know. So I certainly didn't think, you know, I, I, I belong there just because my exposure, what I know about basketball in, 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 in with American basketball is just what I saw at the time, some of the videos we received in black and white, whether it's Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, those rivalries between the Celtics and uh, and Lakers, you know, you, you know, see people like Dr. J, Isaiah, you know, obviously Michael Jordan. You don't, you know, you're thinking, wow, you know, I can't play with those guys. But I didn't realize that there were different levels. There was the NCAA, uh, which is the National Collegiate uh, Basketball Association, um, you know, for it's university competition, and it's at different levels: Division One, Division Two, Three. I played at a Division Two school in Washington D.C., uh, the University of the District of Columbia, and I was honored this year, actually in February, this past February, to be um, um, inducted in the Athletic Hall of Fame uh, for my university. So long. You know, obviously a, a long journey, but a journey of discovery, you know, through the whole process of being in America, playing the sport. It, it just opened my eyes in the power of, of sport and basketball specifically as a tool to, to, to achieve, you know, for self-realization. And I thought that, you know, it could do um, way more than just what it did for me. So for me, that, that it was a very... Um, early uh, journey of discovery and uh, we are here today and obviously I could not map it out you know I can't sit here and tell you that as I started into the game I could ever imagine that you know uh, I would be in the position I am in today and you know some of the things that we've been honored to be part of you know so um this is why we stay extremely uh, passionate about growing the sport, about spreading the opportunity, exposing young boys and girls to the game at an early age. Yeah, that's a very inspirational story. So I would like to focus on, I think, two key elements that I think um, really transform, I guess, in your particular story, your journey to basketball and the influence that you've had i think that the first is that your brother um, at least gave you the opportunity and then you had a series of people in coaches and mentors and i'd like to link that to what you started with seed that is sports for education and economic development were you trying to replicate the same form of mentorship and opportunity that you got from that level and i guess also you had already you know, had considerable success, I mean, trying to scout for the Dallas Maverick. Why did you feel the need to want to start something new on the continent and in Senegal specifically? Yeah, we started seed, you know, I think very early. And 
you know, what became has become my my career um, into you know basketball and the sports industry. Uh, it was in 1998 that we launched the foundation, and it was just because I I had further proof that you know my what the intuition about really the opportunity and the potential for sport to be a tool uh, for, at least in Africa, uplift, you know, communities. And I think it was doing it also in the U.S. because if you, you know, you look back, a lot of the, especially the earlier generation of great players came from some of the toughest inner city neighborhoods, whether it's in Washington, D.C. or Detroit, Chicago, you know, the Watts and, 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 you know, those kind of places, people were able to achieve and come out of uh, some really challenging circumstances to, you know, to make it in society and, and, and look back and, you know, contribute to uplifting their community. So what the game has done for me, just, as I said, you know, getting to D.C., getting my education fully paid for, and first dreaming about going to medical school because I, my inspiration, I've always been Médecins Sans Frontières, you know, because of, you know, what they were doing in terms of uh, um, uh, service, you know, community service, using uh, medicine uh, as their platform. And, you know, when I got into the basketball and the road that it allowed me to travel, uh, the reason I, you know, switched from aspiring to become a doctor to trying to figure out how can I uh, make a career or a journey in sports. And I wasn't, you know, too interested in, being a coach on the court necessarily, or obviously, because at the time I was assisting or just some young people from Senegal and other parts of the world, you know, uh, have the opportunity I had to go to the U.S. and play basketball on scholarship. But, you know, the natural thing that most people would think is, hey, why don't you become an agent? But that wasn't the path for me. Um, so, but I was trying to figure out, you know, really what it is. And then the whole idea about going to medical school also was stunted, you know, to a certain extent by the fact that, you know, it costs a lot of money, which I didn't have. And also at this time, I didn't qualify to get, you know, to apply for the grants and all that, because uh, I wasn't a, you know, U.S. citizen at the time. Um, and then really being in basketball and, and just the more I meet people, the more you grow a network, um, the more you, you keep being reinforced that there was really something, something very powerful here. And I think in 1997, uh, when we put the national team together and, you know, most of the key players were players that we've, you know, uh, facilitated going to the U.S. and playing at a major level and taking, really, taking the baton much higher than I ever could have dreamed of doing it myself at my university. Uh, the likes of Yaya Ja, Bubakar Ao, both played at Georgetown, and just further, you know, opening eyes. And these guys are playing on ESPN and in introductions at the beginning. You know, they would say their names and where they are from, six foot seven from Chess, Senegal, Bubakar, Ao, you know, this is on national television in the U.S. and others, you know, Suleiman one at the University of Connecticut who's from Dakar also, I mean, the list is long. Um, but just the, you're seeing these young people giving a name, you know, for, for, for like having Senegal being recognized in even the deepest corners uh, in, in rural America. 
uh, whether it's in stores, or, I mean, and I don't mean rural, just outside of the big cities, whether it's in stores, Connecticut or Lexington, Kentucky, and, um, you know, Mata and Jai, who was at Chapel Hill, obviously, you know, it's as big as it gets in terms of basketball mecca. You know, these guys were really, you know, putting the name of a country on the map. And then you could very easily see that as other young people come from other countries, the entire African continent now that becomes uh, an area of interest. So, you know, what drove me to start SEED is after we won that African championship in 97 with all those guys who were on the team, Bubaka, Yaya, Matra, and, and others, just to see the reaction here in the country, and we were received by the head of state at the time, uh, President Abdijouf, and this to start having conversations with the highest authorities in the country about the potential that we have with sport, definitely with basketball. Obviously, soccer is always extremely popular, uh, but if we harness the energy that revolves around it uh, and and really look to um, bring about uh, economic opportunities, not only for the players playing the games on the court, but there's an opportunity to develop an entire industry around it if it is structured properly, uh, if you get the right expertise uh, to come and, you know, figure out uh, how to um, create value and, and, and control that value in Africa, when I say control, is that making sure that we're not only exporting talent. How do we bring that talent back to serve, you know, um, the various communities? And for me, to tie my all my passions in terms of basketball, youth, and Africa and its development, Seed provided that opportunity. So we founded Seed in '98. Sports for Education and Economic Development. It's about leveraging the biggest asset we have, which is our human capital, our population, which is mostly made up of young people. How do you turn them into productive members of society? I think through education, you equip them with tools. And sports provides that platform uh, that speaks to youth, you know, and also... That is the greatest equalizer, you know, um, people from all types of background um, are able to, you know, through sport and through their God-given talent, when nurtured properly, when, you know, trained and guided to see a path to um, achieving um, really remarkable things for themselves and then there's a way to kind of put it all together to achieve for the greater community. So I saw sports uh, and basketball as a conduit to contribute in the efforts towards socioeconomic development by focusing on educating the youth, giving them tools, and the values of the game, um, which teaches these young people you know, all the notions that successful people in any walk of life have in common uh, with discipline and a work ethic, um, you know, a sense of collaboration. You know, uh, that's really what 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 seed is about, and that approach we kind of carry in everything we do. You know, um, to you know, first. Um, work with, with the NBA and even <clears throat> when I was at the Dallas Mavericks uh, before moving to Joburg to open the NBA office uh, a lot of the work you know were, were done during that time you know during that window so this is something that we are committed to um, and I think now the Basketball Africa League just provide another platform which is really a culmination of all the work we've done uh, for many decades, and we're looking forward to, you know, the next phase and 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 really um, to see young African talent have an opportunity 
to be showcased and developed right here on the continent and in the process build an industry around basketball. Yeah, so talking about the next phase of um, all the work that you've done on the continent is the Basketball Africa League. Can you tell us to our listeners who don't know about basketball, who don't even know what this league is about, what really is um, the league's vision for, say, the next 10 years and what are the plans currently in place to, um, to begin the league? So the Basketball Africa League is, is a, another ma- milestone. It's actually that next logical uh, milestone in our comprehensive effort to grow the sport in Africa. And when we opened the office in, in Johannesburg in 2010, the NBA Africa office, we, our goal was to make sure you know, we make the game accessible to you know, young people, boys and girls. You know, I told you earlier, I kind of just stumbled onto it you know, by accident, and I didn't have access until much later. I started playing you know, in my late teens. So we, we recognize that there's tremendous talent on the continent, and we see it in football all over the world. Uh, you see African players uh, in the top leagues. The same is happening in basketball. I mean, you see there's a strong presence, African presence, in the NBA today, and we're talking now global superstars in Pascal Siakam or Joel Embiid, and many others, Luol Deng was a two-time um, NBA All-Star. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, Bergie Yang, who's had a phenomenal, you know, uh, rookie year and, you know, still doing well um, uh, after changing team, and many others, really. So the number of players in the league have been steadily increasing, and I think... When you look back at 2003, when the first Basketball Without Borders camp was launched in, in South Africa, you know, you, and then we've done this camp every year from 2003, and we decided in 2010 to open the office and have a physical presence on the ground, on the continent, that is going to focus on really growing the sport. Because, you know, in that, let's say, decade between 2003 and 2010, we've seen, you know, 10 players being drafted out of this camp, Basketball Without Borders, in the NBA, without the NBA having a physical presence on the ground. That was a signal. And also, really, the the, the passion that these young people had for the sport and just the fans in general. So we thought there was a tremendous opportunity to grow the, the game of basketball and grow the NBA business on the continent. So from 2010 to the decade we were there um, uh, in in Joburg, and and by the way, we're still in the Basketball Africa League is still part of uh, the NBA's business on the continent. Um, You know, this was the next logical step. Again, started with just tackling the accessibility issues by, you know, partnering with like-minded organizations to build the infrastructure, build courts, and then train coaches, create programs that was going to um, provide young people from communities, they could be former players, provide them an opportunity to get into the game as coaches or as referees, you know, as trainers. So that's what we first focus on. And then we launch junior NBA leagues across the continent so that kids can, you know, have an organized way of playing the sport uh, through schools, through communities. Then we launched the NBA Academy Africa to become more, to be more intentional about identifying talent and developing this talent. And this is what we did in 2016 or 2017 uh, with the first NBA Academy Africa in Sali, Senegal. And then we hosted three NBA Africa games uh, from 2015 and then 2017 and then 2018. 
just to bring now the marquee NBA event, live event on the continent to really, you know, showcase in front of African fans. And these games were all played in front of sold-out audiences and broadcasters to a Pan-African and global audience. Um, so you, you, you could see that we've spent time energizing and priming uh, you know, the fan base, uh, the marketplace, and the interest grew. The number of players playing in the sport, participating in it grew. And certainly the number of players who became professional, you know, and almost straight out of Africa in the sense that they grew up here. Yes, they may have gone and, you know, played college and get drafted, but their base, the foundation was, was here. So now, you know, after just, you can see a pathway um, taking shape. So now the next logical, you know, stop or step in that pathway is the, this professional Pan-African Basketball League, the Basketball Africa League, which is designed to, you know, further grow the sport, uh, but at the same time, use basketball as an economic growth engine by developing uh, an industry that is going to create jobs, uh, and not just for players who play the game professionally, and because there will, there will be those players, coaches who will be professional, referees who will be professional, but there's all kinds of other business activities or um, um, employment um, opportunities in the sense that as we launch this league, right now we're building a team. Uh, the headquarters of the league will be in Dakar. And we have a team of 15 people right now. And I'm talking about, you know, as you, you just, you know, you talk to Yvonne to set up this um, this interaction. He's our head of communication uh, and media relations. We have people who are in business development, broadcast operations, events, um, marketing, uh, social responsibility, player program. So just to leave operations, uh, you know, just to show you that, you know, it's, it's, it's an enterprise, right? It's an enterprise uh, that is, you know, just a continuation, culmination of, and that is still part of, you know, uh, what we're doing uh, with NBA Africa that has a new CEO uh, brought in Saturday in August, Victor William, that you'll be certainly hearing a lot from. We will all be working together to continue to, you know, build the sport and in partnership with FIBA. So the Basketball Africa League is a partnership with it, between FIBA, which is the world uh, governing body for basketball, and the National Basketball Association. Uh, and again, you know, we have a common interest in, you know, growing the game of basketball on a global basis. And we see a, a unique opportunity uh, here in Africa you know, for the first time, the NBA is launching a league outside of North America. And, and, and you know, FIBA is aligned with us uh, because we both recognize that the opportunity um, is here. And I think, you know, in, in 10 years, you know, this is this, you know, I have no doubt that this will be, you know, one of the, top professional basketball league uh, in the world um, because we are going to be able to retain the tremendous amount of talent that comes from us, Africa, and we will attract also some global talent because the way we structure our rosters is designed to um, um, showcase um, African talent. You know, let's say on a team of 12 uh, 12 men, eight players have to be local players. Let's say if there's a team in Ghana, there should be eight players from Ghana. And then out of the four remaining, two players have to be 
from other African countries, and then the two players remaining could be from anywhere in the world. So every team will have, you know, at least ten African players, and 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 look, and they can have twelve African players. It will be really their options uh, to whether they want to recruit, you know, foreign players or not. So that's really you know what we are what we're shooting for, and specifically for the inaugural season, uh, our partnership with FIBA has um, yielded um, through the qualifiers that FIBA organized last year. You know, we have 12 teams, and we've designated, you know, half of those teams, uh, we've kind of designated the countries. um where those teams will come from. This is a Champions League model. That means teams in the Basketball Africa League are champions of their individual countries. And we have designated six countries, um, Angola, Nigeria, Senegal, Egypt, Tunisia, and Morocco, as those teams will be in the league every year. The champions of those countries will be in the league every year. And then the other remaining six came from qualifiers that FIBA organized, and there were like tremendous participation. Over 30 countries participated, and the six countries that qualified were from Cameroon, Algeria, Mozambique, Rwanda, Madagascar, and Mali. So those are our 12 teams, and we're looking forward to tipping off, uh, you know, soon, as soon as, you know, the conditions permit when it's safe to do that, but we are committed to launching this league uh, in 2021 now. Yeah, so are we talking about a league where players are having to travel across countries or they're going to be in one location? Like, I mean, we are seeing now with the... I mean, we saw now in, in, in the playoffs where there was almost like a mini camp and it's all the players and the teams will come together. Is it that going to be that kind of format, or we're going to see people traveling across? And how does it look on the front of financing for the teams and the players who um, you're saying are going to be full-time? How are they going to be paid, amongst other things? And how are we really building that kind of support base? Because we know there are advertisement agencies for local sports like soccer, amongst other things, and how are we going to build that kind of um, economic support base to allow for the um, sustainability of the program? So in our original model, as you know, we were set to launch on March 13 in, in Dakar before, obviously, the pandemic um, you know, forced us to, to delay. And we were, I believe, probably one of the first... Uh, sports um, leagues or programs or events to to decide to delay back in, I think we made the decision on March 2nd or 4th, literally a week before. We were all set to, you know, team travel the teams in in Dakar because the way we were, we were, we, we, we planned to, you know, play the league. We were playing in seven different cities we have 12 teams. We divide them in two conferences. We'll bring six teams. We're going to start in Dakar. And then the following weekend, we were going to take the other six teams to Monastir in Tunisia. And I think, I believe at the time, we were, after that, we were going to go to Luanda, then Lagos, then Cairo. And then we were going to finish the regular season in, in Rabat in Morocco. And we were going to play the finals in, um, after, after the regular season, Eight out of the 12 teams will qualify to play the playoffs, and we were going to host that in Kigali in May. But obviously, the pandemic have you know uh, forced us to adjust. And what we're looking to do now is to play in single site. You know, take all the 12 teams in one location, and and basically you know um, play in a bubble. And you know, um, you know when it's safe to do that. To, that's what. That's what the plan is. And in terms of um, the teams and logistics, through our partnership, we partner with FIBA to make sure that, you know, 
um, the teams have the resources to, you know, build their rosters because our number one focus is to make sure we create a compelling product on the court that people will want to see uh, on broadcast or, you know, when it's safe for fans to attend games live, there will be an incredible entertainment proposition uh, around this league. So, you know, we, we work to make sure that the teams uh, have the resources uh, necessary uh, to create this competitive product that um, is our goal to, to create. So uh, that's where we are today. Um, we have done some um, activities to stay engaged with our teams, for example, from mid-June to, um, I would say, late October, we hosted a series of leadership series where we would bring some of the, you know, biggest names and, uh, in the NBA, uh, coaches and front office people, uh, presidents and general managers of teams, and, and also functional leads like, you know, heads of marketing, communication from different parts of the NBA family to come and interact with our Basketball Africa League teams. We were doing it um, twice a month. And we had the likes of Greg Popovich, uh, you know, Dwayne Casey, Steve Kerr, Masai Ujiri, and our brother in Toronto, um, R.C. Buford, I mean, some of the biggest names in the game uh, to come and, you know, have exchanges with our teams because we are looking to, you know, really professionalize the environment. Um, and having these types of exchanges, having those people come and sharing their um uh, the 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 plans in terms of how they build their organization, how they build cultures, and the whole idea is about you know exchanging with our BAL team around how to build successful organization. And I think well, um, we were honored to have uh, all those people, you know, Sam Presti, Donnie Nelson from the Mavs. Um, you know, Gerson Roth. I mean, with this uh, uh, an opportunity also to, you know, we had a, a brother and a good friend and a long-time friend of Africa, Brent B.J. Johnson, who was a long-time scout of the Houston Rockets, who we've had on this uh, leadership series, who passed away tragic in a tragic bicycle accident um, just a couple of months ago. Is was somebody who really was looking forward to you know, uh, being part of the efforts to build, to launch and build the Basketball Africa League. He's been a fixture at all our Basketball our Borders events in, in South Africa and everything we've done all across the continent. So, uh, again, uh, our condolences to his wife, Claudette, and uh, his entire family. So he'll be sorely missed, and I'm sure he'll be proud to to see, you know, the day we launch uh, the Basketball Africa League. So you also talked about um, trying to synergize the creative industry because we know how glamorous basketball as a sport is, especially in the NBA, and try to replicate that same module here. How has that been going so far? And what are the prospects to see some of the big names in movie and TV coming to the course to watch um, um, the games, but also perform, you know, as it is done in the NBA? I think what really, you know, make the appeal uh, of, of the NBA and basketball, you know, in general, this is a perfect sport where, the entire creative industry comes to life, you know, seamlessly and synergistically. You know, when you, if you attend, if you ever attended an NBA game in an NBA arena, you could see that the entertainment that you get there you can't find in any other sport. You are in a, you know, indoor arena where you know music and fashion and technology, art, and everything is on display and alive. So even in, you know, when we hosted our Africa 
NBA Africa Games and in Joburg, we were we could even see further confirmation of what this appeal is about because you attract, you know, people who are new to basketball. They could be very casual fans, people who've never seen a game. They get there in the arena, but it's an eye opener because there's a bit of look. At the end of the day, the product on the core uh, on the court, you know, remain the core of everything we do. This is why. We have to make sure that the product is attractive. You have elite talent, you have elite coaching, elite refereeing. This is why we spend a lot of effort to make sure that that part of the equation is uh, strongly in place. Uh, and then, you know, the game attracts, um, you know, artists and musicians, and we've, we've invited many of the top artists from the continent, musicians or fashion designers, movie people, to our events, you know, whether it's the Africa Games or NBA All-Star um, weekends in, in, in the U.S. And over the years, I remember we had Ice Prince uh, in New Orleans, I think, I don't even remember, 2014 or something like that, uh, this past Weekend in Chicago, this past year in Chicago, we had Wally Sek from Senegal, Omni Temples. In the past, you know, I know we've had the likes of Davido, you know, Akon attend NBA games. So we've cultivated all these, you know, relationships and in terms of fashion designs, you know, we've done a lot of works with the likes of Adam Apari um, and designers in South Africa. So, and this is this is really, you know, why I'm excited, and we're all excited about the opportunity for the basketball Africa League to be that catalyst, um, to to be that convener, and we are going to use the convening power of basketball to really um, bring sport in the mainstream conversation and when we talk about the economic engine that basketball can be it's really um, around that that opportunity to also partner with institutions and you know uh, development finance corporations and governments organizations like the African Union the African Development Bank uh, you know we, we will be working with um, organizations that are interested in really uh, African development to highlight how sport, you know, now should be viewed not just as a, something we talk about from a social development standpoint, but we can also unapologetically talk about basketball as a an economic development engine because infrastructure is being built. We've seen Dakar Arena, Kigali Arena, and other arenas that are going to be built. And these arenas are going to serve the economies of those countries beyond just basketball. So, um, you know, we, we, we're excited about the conversations we are having, uh, we've been having over the past years or since we've announced the league. Uh, you know, now we're just with, like anything else around the world, uh, looking forward to the day where we can tip off. Um, and I think we will get out of this pandemic for sure. We, uh, we just hope sooner uh, rather than later. Um, there's a lot of anticipation from, you know, whether it's players and teams and basketball fans and even, you know, beyond beyond basketball fans. So um, the interest is there. We build tremendous momentum, having a lot of positive conversations uh, in the different parts of the continent and looking forward to you know, the day where we tip off the league. So I can imagine that this league is going to employ a lot of people, right? But you see how complicated the organization of basketball, particularly as a sport, is, would mean 
diversified talents, but also very technical talents. Are there programs in place to develop, say, people who are going to be in charge of specific lightning or other, you know, peculiar um, um, things that need to, you know, create the same MBA experience? Yes. But look, that's what I was talking about earlier um, when we said that the league would be, you know, would provide, provide opportunities beyond just the players who are playing the game or the coaches, coaching and referees. You know, there's an entire ecosystem that we're going to grow. You know, yes, in an arena, you need sound engineers, you need lighting engineers, you need broadcast operations people, security, uh, ground transportation, and this is going to impact tourism too when it's safe to, to travel. Imagine, you know, if you take six teams in one city and then move from different cities, all the fans that could travel from different, you know, parts of the continent. And, and now, you know, I was very pleased to see the Africa Free Trade Continental Free Trade Agreement uh, you know, launched in earlier this year. I think, yeah, it may take time, but the, the idea that, you know, now you can move cross borders, uh, you know, across the continent and trade and, you know, uh, have different activities across the continent. This is, you know, very timely. I think, uh, you know, certainly there is a whole uh, opportunity with sports as far as you know tourism, so I think this is why seeing these arenas being built and um, all the infrastructures um, to boost tourism, uh, you know, is going to uh, bode well uh, with the launch of the league, and it's going to help sports uh, in general, but. Uh, uh, no question. You know, this is why I talked to you about even the team we're building. Just you can see all the different uh, professions uh, that are uh, being highlighted uh, and that we bring uh, on the floor to, to 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 showcase and also to grow the league. Yeah. So, Mr. Four, what are your last words when you imagine? the transformation that this is going to cause, what do you see is going to be the future for basketball in Africa? The future is extremely bright because, look, again, we've always had great players, you know, come out of the continent, uh, and this is before a concerted, an intentional effort to identify and, and groom those players. Hakim Olajuwon is the top 50 all-time in the NBA, one of the greatest to ever play the game of basketball anywhere in the world, not just out of Africa, certainly the best ever from Africa. Uh, you know, you have also other pioneers like Manu Bol or Dikembe Motombo. Um, you know, as I said earlier, Luol Deng was a two-time all-star. Now you see these younger guys, uh, you know, with Pascal Siakam, Joel Embiid, and, you know, um, Serge Ibaka, you know, Ibaka and Siakam winning the NBA championship um, under the leadership of Masai Ujiri from Nigeria in 2019. So I think there is certainly um, a recognition. It's not like we are crying for, hey, you know, look at us. This is really not, uh, I think that we've passed that stage. But there is still a lot of work to be done in terms of making sure the infrastructure catches up with the talent, right? And also the expertise catches up with the talent in terms of building coaches, uh, developing coaches, developing the physical infrastructure. Um, I've known great players who played in Europe way before. You know, now uh, guys started going to the U.S. or playing in the NBA or even NCAA, we all know Jean-Jacques Concessorau from Angola. Uh, he's an NBA player, you know, at the right time. Right? I've known other guys from Senegal, Bengali Kaba, Maget Ndoy, Apollo Faye. These, you know, these are legends who played in 
in France. So the talent has always been there. Now that we are focusing on grooming this talent and building this league that is going to be, uh, you know, for African talent and attracting global talent, you know, so the future is super, super exciting. Now we just got to get institutions and governments and countries to buy in to see that this is an opportunity to really speak to the youth and address uh, the all issues around youth unemployment. And if it can serve as a as a catalyst to you know really um, get these young people to focus on positive social activities, to aspire to build big things right here on the continent, I think to give. Um, hope uh, in a very, you know, um, natural way, I think, is could play a role in making sure that young people see value uh, in, in staying in their respective countries and trying to push to achieve uh, big things rather than what we see some of these tragedies of, you know, young people from across the Sahel taking these boats uh, to perish in the waters and looking to reach the Mediterranean shore in search of, you know, really a reality that's fading. So, you know, um, we, basketball and sports, if, if really um, uh, harnessed properly, um, can be an answer building an industry that we haven't thought about, you know, where we just exported the talent up to now. Now, how do we build professional sports leagues, not just in basketball, but in all sports, and that could be creative, creators of, of, of jobs, um, um, I think could be a, a welcome site. Yeah, so basketball can be the answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, consider supporting our fundraiser to help us build a mini home studio. This will help us produce a better audio quality and enrich your overall listening experience. Find the link to the fundraiser in our show notes. Special acknowledgement to those who have supported us already. My team members, Gabriel Sakite, our producer and sound engineer, and Nathaniel Opoku, our marketing lead. Subscribe to this podcast to get notified about new episodes every week and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast. Join us next week for more thoughtful conversations with Africa's most inspiring leaders. 